We're going to be in, e in Ephesians 5. Um, but here's the thing. We're in Ephesians 5 verse 18. And we're going to read it today. But we're not going to dig too much into it. So we're going to do the first part of 18. Today we're just kind of laying the foundation. We're just going to kind of do a survey of the Holy Spirit. Um, so that when we look at this verse next week, the Holy Spirit could just bring it out to us. And so the focus today is really just a survey. Like I said, I don't want to get in the sermon mode where I'm just preaching and trying to go point by point. But it's, it's, I'm hoping that it's a time for us to just meditate and reflect on the Holy Spirit. Um, like what we were doing today at the beginning with our opening text. Um, just thinking about it like not just rushing through, just pondering for a second. So it'll be more of us looking at scriptures. Um, we will look at two Greek words that are very important in understanding verse 18. Um, but I really want us to behold the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 5, 18, we'll read it today. 5, 18 through 21. But we'll dig into the text next week. Today we're just focusing on the first part, which is the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, God, for just what you've been revealing in me this week, God. And I pray you do this work in my brothers and sisters here today and throughout the week, Lord. Holy Spirit, just make us more aware, as the song says, of your presence. Let's experience the glory of your goodness. Holy Spirit, you're filling God. Bless my brothers and sisters today. Let them see what lives inside of them. The value of you, Holy Spirit, who dwells and takes residence inside of them, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. So the word of God, Ephesians 5. We looked at 16 and 17 uh, the last time I spoke. But I'm going to just start in verse 15, and I'm going to go down to 21 just for context. Ephesians 5, the word of God says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here goes our key text. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Our focus today is on the first part of 18 or the B portion, I would say, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're focusing on the Holy Spirit today. Um, some call the Holy Spirit, I know Chan wrote a book about it, The Forgotten God, right? Because we, we focus on the Father, we focus on Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is just, we don't say much sometimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one who has washed you, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the one who has washed you and cleansed you from your old ways. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who has changed some of those old habits and the old way of thinking. Uh, when, when, when Paul was um, wanted to remind, uh, was writing to Titus about the church in Crete, or 
was, he was in Crete, he wanted Titus to remind the church of this. Let me, let me, go with me to Titus chapter 3 first. I still want to kind of lay the foundation here. Titus chapter 3. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 3. And I know we've read this verse a couple times over the week, but I, since we're on the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the perfect time again to read this. So again, the Holy Spirit is the one who has washed us, who has cleansed us, who has renewed us. And so when, when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Titus, who's in Crete, he wanted Titus to remind the church of a couple of things. He wanted Titus to remind the church in Crete that he says in three that they were once foolish. So Titus remind them this. For we were once foolish, disobedient, he says, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And then he says, spending our time in malice. Spending our life in malice. Let's just stop there. Do you know what malice is, anyone? Does anyone know what malice is? Malice is the intention or desire to do evil or harm to someone. That's malice. And Paul is reminding or telling Titus to remind the church there that we once were living our life in malice. Meaning I had intentions and desires to do evil or harm to someone. That's, that's the street I used to live on, Malice Street, he's saying. Think about the times you've gotten arguments with people. And you said something that you knew would sting and hurt. You intentionally said it because you wanted to bring harm. You knew it was a low blow, but you said it. Why? Because you intentionally wanted to zing. You wanted to sting them. You wanted to say something that hurt them. That's malice. You have this intention and desire to hurt someone, to bring evil. Think about the times we did that. Some of us actually physically did that. We had the intentions to want to beat somebody up or to hurt someone or others. It was just an argument. I had the desire, the intentions to hurt them, whether with my words or an action that I did to them. I had the desire, the intention to do that. That's malice. Paul said we, we, we live there. Malice. All of us can speak about malice. We've all had this and lived our time somewhere in malice where we just thought about doing harm and how to hurt somebody, how to cut somebody. We thought about it. Malice. Not only does he say that we all used to live in malice, but he says envy, hateful, hating one another. We all, guess what, used to drink haterade at some point in our life. Haterade is just a slang term for just hating on people, always knocking people down, always saying some of the worst, right? So Paul is saying here that we all used to drink haterade. He says evil, hateful, hating one another. But then what does he say after that in verse 4? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Look what he says in verse 5. He saved us, what, from these things that we lived in, the malice, the hate, the envy. He saved us from these things. How did he do it? He said, how did he save us? Not on the basis of these which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by what? The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. 
whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So how did he save us from this malice, this lust, this envy, this hate from living in this way? He says that God did it by the Holy Spirit. He did it through Jesus. When Jesus poured out this Holy Spirit, he begins to regenerate and renew us and, and make us new, more like Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit he's saying here. The Holy Spirit is the one that has gone through and, and begin to change you and shape you and every day the Holy Spirit moves you to become more like Christ. It's the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. That's what Paul wants Titus to remind the church there at Crete about the Holy Spirit doing the work here. It's the Holy Spirit. It's another passage I want to show you about the Holy Spirit. Again, we're surveying the Holy Spirit. This is in the Old Testament. Pastor Brian, this is our first text here. Zechariah 4.6. Let's see. There we go. All right. Zechariah 4.6. Let me tell you about this passage and the work of the Holy Spirit here. In this passage, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And the word of the Lord had a, a word for Zechariah to give to Zerubbabel, right? And Zerubbabel at this time, he was the governor of Judea. This is post-exile. So as you, you can recall, the children of Israel, remember they got pushed into exile. Remember God allowed their land to be destroyed. He allowed their temple to be destroyed. And they went to Babylon. They were in exile. And then God allowed Cyrus the Great, give Cyrus the Great a word, and he allows them to go back into Ju Jerusalem to build up the temple, right? So this is during that period right there, right? And so, Cyrus, so Zerubbabel was the governor of Judea at that time, right? And they're working on the temple. And the Lord gives a word for Zerubbabel, the governor who's working on the temple by the mouth of the prophet Zechariah. And look what he tells Zechariah. He says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, Zerubbabel is building the temple and he's, he's giving this word of encouragement to Zerubbabel that you're not going to build this temple, this, this great work. It's not going to be through human effort. It's not going to be through human might, but it's going to be a work of my spirit. It's going to be by my spirit that you actually complete this task. That's how you're going to do this, Zerubbabel. It's not going to be you and your hubris. It's not going to be you and your smartness. It's not going to be you with your degrees and your school and your education. It's not going to be because you just know so much. But no, it's actually it's going to be a work of my spirit how you accomplish this thing. Now, we'll go to the, the next verse, uh, Pastor Brian. Our next screen. Because this is a verse that really gets, it gets better and better here. So after he, him telling Zerubbabel that... Not by my might, not by uh, your might, not by, you know, power, but it's going to be by a work of my spirit. Then he goes on to this verse here, which is really, really good news. He says, what are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace. Grace to it. Why is he saying this? Because Zerubbabel, at this time, he's working on the foundation of the temple, Right? And how do you think they made a foundation? They would go to a mountain, right? And they begin to carve and chip away this mountain. And they, they chisel it and they get it right. And they bring the, 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 the stone and they set the foundation. And so what he's telling Zerubbabel, this big mountain 
that you're going to use to build this temple, even though it's great, guess what? It's going to be plain. It's going to become small. Why? Because the work of my spirit in you, you're going to destroy this mountain. You're going to chip away at it. And you're going to take all of those stones and you're going to set it and build my temple. So he's saying, this is this big mountain, this big task that you're up against. Guess what? By my spirit working in you, this huge mountain, you're going to constantly chip away at this mountain, chip away, taking all the stones from this mountain and then placing it in the temple. And you're going to do this how, he says in the previous verse, by my spirit. Not by my human might, but by my spirit. This should be so much good news for us because many of us, we see that mountain there, whatever the mountain is. And th this mountain that, that's before me, it's going to become plain, not by my human effort, not by Jerome's way, but no, but by God's Holy Spirit working in me, that mountain, that challenge, that giant, that trouble will become plain. Yes. It's the work of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Just like he's working in Zerubbabel, guess what? He, God does the same work in you by his Spirit. It's not you, church. It is not you, saints. It is not your human effort, but whatever it is, the challenge, the thing, the obstacle, it is by the work of God's Spirit that you will destroy that obstacle. It is by the work of God's Spirit that you will overcome. That's good news. The Holy Spirit. That's good news. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's the Spirit of God. He's showing Zerubbabel that you're going to destroy this mountain. Now let me give you another text. You can go ahead. Press bread. There we go. Numbers. Again, again, we're surveying the Holy Spirit, looking at how the Holy Spirit has moved throughout the scriptures. So here we're, we're looking at Moses. And here in, in Numbers 11, right, Moses, he's, the children of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. And the children of Israel are beginning to, to fuss. They're beginning to groan. And, and, and Moses is saying, Lord, I can't take what's going on with Matter of fact, I want to show you this text. Let's go to Numbers. I didn't put it all in here. I want to show you the, the text before this because it's, it's that good. Go to Numbers, Numbers 11. I'll let you read it for yourself. And I'm just, I'm just going to read first 10 down to 15 because it's, it's, it's good, right? Let me just read this. Numbers 11, verse 10 through 15. Now Moses heard the people were weeping throughout their families, and each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant, God? Come on, Lord, look what I'm doing. And he says, why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? So they're crying, they're complaining, and this burden is now on Moses because he's the God's leader. So they're laying all of their burdens on Moses, right? He says, so why have you laid all these people's burden on me? He says, was it I who conceived all these people? I didn't birth them. You, you put them, me in charge of them, Lord, right? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nerf and infant to the land which you swore to your father? So, so Moses feels like he's just a mom birthing an infant as he's carrying, he's grumbling and complaining Israelites, right? That's, that's how he feels. And you nursing mothers, I, you guys know how that feels, right? It's, it's two in the morning and baby's crying and you've got to feed them, right? So that's how Moses is feeling at the moment. Like, I'm just nursing around these babies. I'm just carrying them. He's like, okay, God. Then he says, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. 
I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. Now, oh, watch him get real. You think the Bible characters are not real? Watch him speak like many of us spoke so many times when life gets really difficult and hard. Look what he says this. So if you're going to deal thus with me, if you're going to treat me like this, God, is this, if this is how it's going to go, God, look what he says here. Please kill me at once. Right? If you're going to allow me just to go through this circumstance, if you're going to allow things to be this hard for me, then, then God, just, just kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Just take me out. All right? Isn't that how we react oftentimes when life gets really difficult? Our first thing, we, God, I just want to die. I don't want to live no more. I don't want to take this. This week on the news, I was hearing about the girl in Wisconsin, the star athlete, committed suicide. Star athlete at the University of Wisconsin committed suicide. Last week, the star athlete at Stanford, soccer player, the, the lady, she committed suicide. And whenever Aaron the story, they said that the second leading cause of death for college-age students is suicide. That's the second leading cause of death. And there's so many people where suicide, like life just gets so difficult. They're like, Moses, here, just take me out. Just kill me. I don't want to live anymore, right? Because things have gotten so difficult that I just feel like I can't take this anymore, right? So Moses is very human, the point I want you to see. Moses is just like you and I. When we get overwhelmed, sometimes we just say things that we really don't mean. We just speak, right? And so Moses says that. And look what the Lord says in 16. The Lord therefore said to Moses, gather for me um, 70 men from the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Here's the reason why I brought you to this verse, verse 17. Then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit, here we go, who is upon you and I will put him upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you do not bear it alone. So what is he going to do? He's going to put the spirit that is in Moses and he's going to now put it on these 70 elders and now the Holy Spirit is going to be used to help these men bury the burden of the people that is going and complaining. See the work of the spirit here. Again, God is the Holy Spirit is the one that's helping Moses and these 70 elders to bear the burdens of the people. It's God's Spirit. It's the point I want you to see. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to help Zerubbabel build that foundation to tear down that mountain. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to help Moses and these 70 men go and carry this burden and lead the people. It's the Holy Spirit. You can even look at uh, in, in, in Ezekiel. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Ezekiel in, in Ezekiel 11.5 where he began to prophesy in the name of the Lord and tell the people about the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one that does all of this. The Holy Spirit was working in Ezekiel. The Holy Spirit was working in Moses. The Holy Spirit was working in Zerubbabel. So the Holy Spirit was the agent of change doing things with the people of Israel. But here's the thing. More than that, the children of Israel, they actually look forward to a day. They look forward to a day when that same spirit that was in Moses, helping them lead the people, that same spirit that was in Zerubbabel, that helped to build the temple, that same spirit that was in Ezekiel, that would help him prophesy, they look forward to a day when that spirit will be given and poured out on all of God's people. See, when you look at Moses, it was only given to Moses and the 70 elders. It was only given to certain people in the Old Testament to carry out certain divine tasks, right? 
only on certain people that the Holy Spirit was given, on, given to. But the children of Israel, they look forward to the day when God's Spirit would not just be given to certain individuals, but when all of God's people would one day have the Holy Spirit resting inside of them. And that day, the prophet Joel prophesies about. Uh, do I have that text in there? I believe I do. Yeah, there we go. I did. So this is the prophecy. This is what the children of Israel look forward to here in Joel. Look what Joel says here. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. He says, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So that is what they were looking forward to. They were looking forward to the day when God would pour out his spirit on all people. And guess what? This prophecy aligns with what Jesus said, what we read today. In John 14 and John 16, where Jesus says he, he promises to send the helper, the spirit of truth, the comforter, who is the Holy Spirit to his disciples. They look forward to that day. Jesus spoke of that day. And then we seen on, in Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit poured out upon Jesus' disciple as Joel prophesied and as Jesus spoke. But that's what they look forward to. And guess what? If you have come to place your faith in Jesus, if you have come to place your faith in the good news of the kingdom of God and his anointed one, Jesus, who has defeated your enemies, sin, Satan, death, and who has reconciled you to God, guess what? The apostle Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.13 that when you believe this good news, that you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. Meaning that you, saint, you, saint, who have believed this good news about Jesus, guess what? You have been stamped as one of God's by God's Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that all of the Old Testament saints look forward to, all of the, 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 the things that the um, Old Testament saints wanted to be in them that they seen that was in Moses and all of God's special people, that spirit that they long for, guess what, saints? Now live in you you gotta see that this is powerful this is big that's why when when Peter preaches what does he tell them after calling them to repent he tells them to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit was the big sale there it's like the Holy Spirit that that spirit that we heard the prophet Joel talk about that spirit that we've been longing for to, to come upon us he's saying that has come and it is inside of you, believer. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you have come to place your faith in Jesus. The scripture says so. That's what Paul tells Ephesians. You have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of promise is now in you. You have God's Spirit, church. That's good news. Don't, don't take that lightly. You got that spirit, again, that, that helps. I'm, I'm going to keep saying the same thing. You got that spirit that helps Zerubbabel to build the temple foundation and tear down the mountain. You got that spirit of, that, that helped Moses to lead the people and the 70 elders. You have that same spirit, the same spirit that we've seen God working in certain people in the Old Testament. That now resides in you, believer. Don't just brush over that. Ask God to take you deeper into that, into that song that we sing. Let us become more aware. Help us to go deeper in understanding that God's presence resides in me. That's good news. 
This is, this is you on Gelion, that the Holy Spirit of God resides in us. This is you on Gelion. This is good news. And you know one of the reasons why this is really, really good news amongst many things, why the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Pastor Brian, can you go to the next text here? I want to show you why this is really, really good news. This is because of what the scripture says here in Galatians 5.22. This is why this is really, really good news that the Holy Spirit resides in you. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit... This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in a person. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I didn't give him, we're missing another one. I don't think I put that. What's the next slide, Pastor Brian? Yeah. I didn't put it in there. Ah. Okay. But I want to read it to you. Go to Galatians 5. I just gave him the first part. The, the good news that the Holy Spirit resides in you. Here's a euangelion for that. Again, let me, let's read what the Spirit does in a person, what he produces in a person. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is meekness. Don't use that word. No, I, it's meekness. That's the proper word there. Meekness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does in a person. That's what it produces when it's inside of you. These things here. I'm doing a dramatic pause on purpose. <laughs> because I just read something to you that I hope sinks in. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and this is what the this is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace. The Holy Spirit produces joy in a person. Look at the text here. See, this this tells me that God is actually for my joy. God, I, I want you to see. Last week I prayed. After we sung the song, victory belongs to Jesus. Remember Pastor Brian asked the question. He says, what do you want God to give you victory over? And many of us said nothing, which hopefully we can change that because we all need victory over something. Maybe we just, maybe too embarrassed to mention it or whatever. But what did I mention? I mentioned that I had this issue with contentment, which... God later came to show me it wasn't really contentment, that's the wrong word, but it was my joy. And then last week, as I'm studying the scriptures, God brings me here to Galatians 5.22, which shows me that God is for my joy. Why? Because he has given me the spirit, and the spirit of God will produce joy in me, which tells me that God is for my joy. He is for my peace. He is for my patience. He is for my goodness. He is for my faithfulness. Why? He has given me the Holy Spirit who actually produces this in me. So that tells me that God is for my joy. And, and that just lit my heart on fire. Like, oh my goodness, you, you care about my joy, God. You've given me, the, you care about me so much where you've given me the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is actually producing a joy in me. So you, you're not ignorant of what I prayed about. You, you want my joy. You want my peace. You, you want me walking in these things. 
Why? You, you give me the Holy Spirit to actually do that, to bring me to joy. So that tells me that God is for our joy. He is for our peace. He is for our patience. He is for all of those. He is for our meekness. He is for our faithfulness. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to bring it to pass. See, God is for, that's why I said this is really euangelion. This is good news because that tells me that God is not ignorant to the things we pray about. He has given us tools. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help bring them about. You're looking for peace in your life. Guess what? God knows it, and he's giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is actually going to be working in you to bring you to this peace that you're praying about. See, that's why he's giving you the Holy Spirit. He's not ignorant of it, but he's giving you the Spirit to help bring those things about. So God is for your peace. He's for your patience. He's for your kindness. He's for all of these. He's for your goodness. He's for your meekness. He's for your self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control. Think about all of our, our addictions. All of our addictions have to do with what? Self-control. And it's the spirit that actually works to bring you in self-control. And I'm, I know we like to pick on alcoholics and we like to pick on drug addicts when we come to addiction. But guess what? You know what the biggest addiction we have in our country? is food. We eat a lot. That's why America has an obesity problem, right? Because we are addicted to our food. So not just picking on addicts over here, but no, we have food addictions where we don't have self-control, but the Holy Spirit is actually inside of us. And that's one of his fruits that he produces when you yield. Now I'm kind of giving away verse 18. When you yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work in you, he produces this self-control. So now to our main text in Ephesians, I hope just us serving the Holy Spirit, this could prep your heart now to where we read Ephesians 5. It'll maybe catch more fire quick than when you look at Ephesians 5. So look at our main text back here, Ephesians 5. Paul says, again, that the Holy Spirit, he says, to not get drunk with wine, for that is this is a ah, potation. Ah, can't tongue twister. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, do not be drunk with wine. He's telling these Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine. Maybe that's the culture of the day, that's the times of the day. He's saying, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, which is, this, this word dissipation is like riotous living, living reckless. When you're drunk with wine, you, you do reckless stuff. You do crazy stuff. Um, one of my... Pastor Eugene Washington of the Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church, anytime he would preach on this verse, he would always use this great example, and I'm going to use it right now. And he would say, if a person drink a bottle of Old Crow, that's bourbon, right, that's alcohol, or if a person drink a bottle of Jack Daniels, Grey Goose, he always says, they would not have to tell you that they drank a bottle of Jack Daniels, Old Crow, Grey Goose, Goose, right? They wouldn't have to come and say, hey, I drank a bottle of Grey Goose. Why would they not have to tell you? Say it, Brother Anthony. Because already know. You would already know. Why? Because what is inside of them will become visible, right? The thing that is inside of them, that has filled them, that has influenced them, will begin to show on the outside, right? That Jack Daniels that was going inside of them would now be Jack Daniels on the outside of them, right? Because they're under the influence of Jack Daniel or Grey Goose or Old Crow. And so it is so with the Holy Spirit. That is Paul's point here. We're called to be 
filled with the Holy Spirit. We are called to be influenced and under the control of the Holy Spirit to where what is on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit, begins to show and manifest itself on the outside of us. Particularly here in Ephesians uh, 19, in the areas of singing, in the areas of giving thanks, and in the areas of mutual submission. So what's, what's on us on the inside, the Holy Spirit will begin to manifest itself in the areas, particularly here in verse 19, in the areas of singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, in the areas of giving thanks, and in the area of mutual submission. That's what he's showing us here. The Holy Spirit will begin to do that if you are filled and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's address the elephant in the room. Right? This verse says, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, that's actually a passive. Um, it is, uh, it's written in the present form, but it's a, it's a passive verb. Meaning, it's not something that you can actually do yourself. It's something that the Holy Spirit is doing in, in you. But our goal is to be filled. So the filling part is not something that we do. We passively allow God to do that. But we have some activity in here because Paul is then given this commandment to be filled. Right? So the question you should be asking yourself is, how do I fill myself with the Holy Spirit? And how, how can I be filled? And because this verse is written in the present, it means to continually, day by day, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You should be saying, then how do I do this? How do I do this day by day filling of the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit fill me day by day? How do I accomplish this? Well, now I'm going to kind of get into some Greek here. There's two types of fillings of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. There's two types. And there's actually two Greek words to describe the different types of feelings that we find in the scriptures, right? There's, there's the one type of feeling of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for a short time, a short duration to do some miraculous deed, to do some extraordinary thing, to do some type of divine task. And the Greek word that's used for that is the word... Um, Plato, or the root word is pimplami, pimplami. That, that's the word that you will find when someone, where the Holy Spirit comes upon a person for a short time to do something miraculous, some deed. It's the root word pimplami that's used to describe this filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me give an example of that. Pastor Brian. Zechariah 1, 6, 7, uh, 67 here. Look at the scripture says. And his father... Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, so this word filled here, this is the word pimplame or plethos. This is where the Holy Spirit now is coming upon Zacharias. Why? For this short period of time, what is he going to do? He's going to prophesy about John the Baptist's ministry, and he's going to prophesy about the Messiah, right? The Holy Spirit is coming upon him for this short period of time to do a prophecy. This is pimplame or plethos. This is how the filling of the Holy Spirit is used here. Let's go to another uh, text. Before we get there, I'll get to Acts 8. I have another verse that's just not on there. But you have in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit filled the church. You remember when at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit falls on them, and all the believers begin to speak in known language. They're speaking in tongues, but they're speaking in known languages, right? The filling that's used there, again, is pimplame, plethos, which means it was for a short duration, for a special occasion that God filled them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues. That's Pimplame or Plathos. That was, again, that was a filling of the Holy Spirit for a short duration or a short period of time. Uh, here's the next verse. Acts 4.8. This is um, when Peter and John were thrown in jail. And you remember, they go before the rulers. They're wondering, why are you guys preaching in the name of Jesus? And then look what happens with Peter. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. This is the same verse where he said, there's no other name where you can have salvation other than the name of Jesus, right? So God is using Peter for this short period of time. He's filling them with the Holy Spirit to speak this word to these group of people who are opposing him. That's Pimplamy or Plathos right there, where the Holy Spirit is using them for that period of time. Um, now, we kind of went ahead. Uh, we'll leave that there. No, you're, yeah, you're fine. Just leave it up there. Just you guys. Before we read that, let me, maybe you want to take it down because I don't want to get everybody thrown off. <laughs> now we're going to get to the other Greek word, which is pleroa. Pleroa, this is the other filling of the Holy Spirit that you'll see where the scripture says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But with pleroa, this filling is used to describe the character of the individual. The character of the individual. That's how play is used. Unlike Pimplame, which is where the Holy Spirit is coming upon them to do some special divine task. But when, when the scriptures or when Luke, it's all by Luke, when Luke and Paul, when Luke and Paul are using play they're trying to describe the character of the individual. And let me give an example. Our text here. This is Acts 6. So do you remember when the, the um, Hellenistic uh, widows they were, um, they were being neglected in a daily serving of food, right? And then you remember Peter said, hey, we can't handle this matter. We, we can't serve tables. We got to go focus on this word. He tells the, the church there, um, select among you seven, good, seven men of good reputation. Look what he says here. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, guess what? A man full of faith. And what is he full of? The Holy Spirit. So what Peter's not saying, hey, go find a man and see if they're speaking in tongues. And now you know they're full of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. But this word play rohu is here used to describe the character of a person, meaning that they live their life as if the Holy Spirit has taken hold of them, as if they're full of the Holy Spirit. And so they're saying, go find these men of good reputation who have the Holy Spirit. How? They're, they're men of good reputation. They're known in the community. And so it's, it's, it's more speaking of the character that the Holy Spirit has filled them or they have lived their life in such a way that you know the Holy Spirit has them. It's like if I said, Pastor Brian, he's a man of the Holy Spirit, uh, full of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is, Pastor Brian, the Holy Spirit has taken hold of him. And you can tell by the way he lives his life. You can tell by the way he loves his wife. You can tell by the way he loves his church that he is full of the Holy Spirit. He is, he is playroo of the Holy Spirit versus the Holy Spirit doing some special task to him. And so here he, he's using it to describe the character of the individual that, that it shows that the Holy Spirit has taken a hold of them. Um, another example is here with Barnabas. When Barnabas is described here, it says this, and I, I cut off Barnabas, but this is describing Barnabas, right? It says that Barnabas, he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a considerable number were brought to the Lord. So he's, again, he's what? He's describing the character of Barnabas. He's not saying that Barnabas went and did some special miraculous deed that's full of the Holy Spirit, but he's trying to describe that Barnabas is the person the Holy Spirit has grabbed a hold of. He's full of the Holy Spirit as displayed by his life. So again, this is pointing to the, the character of Barnabas, that the Holy Spirit has got a hold of him, that he's in control of him, and it shows in how he lives. And that's the same word that we have in Ephesians 5.18, play ro'o, when Paul says, 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is to be under the influence, to yield yourself to the work of the Spirit so that it's moving in you to do these things. That's the filling. So we can't fill ourselves. Our job is to yield, if you will, ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. That is how we're going to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, you got to get it, the Holy Spirit is always working. The Holy Spirit is always moving. The Holy Spirit is always trying to get us to go forward and higher towards God. Our role is to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. That is how the filling process happens with us. So that the Holy Spirit will come and begin to work in us and produce in us the character that we see of a godly Christian. So that's, that's the yielding that we have to do to the Holy Spirit. The problem is we don't always yield to the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the perfect example this, this week. I was telling you, Pastor Brian, um, this week, I was uh, watching the game. I came back from work, and I was doing a whole bunch of activities. And I came back from home, and the playoffs is on. So I'm watching the playoff, and it's getting so good. We're in the fourth quarter. It's tight. It's like, come on, Warriors, right? And, and, and I'm watching the game. But I had this desire to go read with my daughter, Serenity, right? I'm like, I should go read with Serenity. So I'm just saying, go read with your daughter. And I'm like, no, nah, just five more minutes, five more minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch the game. Not just five more minutes. Basketball games are not five more minutes, right? It comes around to her bedtime. She has to go to bed. And I'm like, man, that was the Holy Spirit pushing me to do something. And I chose my own pleasure over following the leaning and presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that's, that's the yielding that I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is, is always working. For example, Jesus says in, in John 5, 17, when, when, when um, the Jews were mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, he, he tells the Jews this. He says that um, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is always working. doesn't take a day off. The Holy Spirit is always trying to move in us and push us towards greater godliness, greater character that reflects Jesus. But the question is, church, will we yield to the Spirit? Will we yield? Because we do, we have this flesh. We have this human nature that doesn't want to go with God. That doesn't want to do the things that God is calling us to do. And then we have this Holy Spirit, which is also moving us to, to go a certain direction. The question is, who will you allow to win? Who will you yield to? Will you yield to your flesh and its desires? Or will you yield to the work of the Spirit when he's moving you? And that's really what it all comes down to when it comes down to this being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, as Paul, again, he says be, be filled, and that word means continually day by day. Paul is assuming, again, that the Holy Spirit is working and he's moving you because he really is. Your question is, will you yield to his work? Or will you be a hindrance? Will you say, no, I'm going to go with my flesh? Or no, I'm going to follow the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God leads me and moves me to do different things. This is our question. This is our challenge. Will we allow the Spirit to continually, day by day, fill us? Will we yield to his influence? Will we yield to his power so that the Holy Spirit can produce in us the things that we know that are pleasing to God? Or will we yield to our flesh? That is the question that we must examine and ask ourselves. Because the Holy Spirit, church, he's working. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. We got to let him, let him work. We got to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. We can't yield 
to our flesh. We got to follow the spirit of God and the leading of God. So we'll stop there. And then next week, we'll look at the results of this yielding to the spirit in these three areas that Paul marks out here from verse 19 and 20. So he says, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you, then these three things should be the produce, right? Outside of the things we find in Galatians, he's saying these are the fruits of that, that you'll be singing songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll be giving thanks always in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be subject to one another. Those are the fruits of yielding to the Holy Spirit as he begins to fill you. So we'll look at these three next week, but um, we'll stop there. So that's today, which is laying the foundation of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll look at the practical aspects of this next week.